You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, I'm Baratunde Thurston, and this is How to Citizen with Baratunde. In season two, we're talking about the money. Because to be real, it's hard to citizen when we can barely pay the bills. We've been on this journey, finding ways to make our economy work for the people and allow us to do this thing that we call citizening. Showing up for each other, knowing our power, building a system that works for the many and not just the few. And we've talked about a lot of new models of company ownership, of worker organizing, of even publicly owned broadband networks to make that economy that strengthens our democracy. But there's one thing we haven't spent a lot of time on. What if we just gave people money? Like, seriously, just gave people money. That's it. No strings attached, no complications. Just give people money. And we do it all the time when those people are very wealthy or exist in the form of corporations. We call them subsidies. We call them tax abatements. But when it comes to the individual human being just getting cash from the government in the United States of America, we don't even give out health care to individual human beings without all kinds of strings attached. So straight up money, that seems like a hard sell in this very selfish economy. This idea got a little more attention thanks to brother Andrew Yang. Now, the first time you heard about me in this campaign, you heard something like this. There's an Asian man running for president who wants to give everyone $1,000 a month. You remember that, Philadelphia? 
oh, I, I miss Andrew Yang. I miss his entertaining contributions to the debate stage. And I'm grateful for him elevating the idea of just giving people money. Thank you, Andrew Yang, for your service. And some of us may have been aware of pilot programs in various cities or counties across the nation. But the biggest trial for this idea of giving people money came thanks to COVID. As for those stimulus payments, they're expected to head out in the coming weeks, providing much needed relief to tens of millions of eligible Americans. And the money can't come soon enough. People earning $75,000 a year or less will get $1,200. $600. $1,400 stimulus payments for tens of millions of eligible Americans. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America's ready for a takeoff, in my view. Stimulus checks, stimulus money, straight up cash that we got to use however we chose to do so. Yes, Stimmy repaid a personal loan, and then the balance, $400, paid for medication. My stimulus check helped me to kickstart a different career, and I really appreciate it. Just more money on the kids, trying to do some more fun things and things that I wouldn't normally do. Honestly, I think I bought a new guitar. The third check, I chose to spend half of it on a vacation, and then the other half went into my savings account. So the pandemic showed us it was possible to just give people money. That maybe it was never really a crazy idea to begin with. But what happens after the pandemic, when you follow through on it on a regular basis? How do you even do that? Where does the money come from? What will people spend it on? Will people still work if you just give them money? And what does this mean for this group of people we call the working poor? When they get a little wiggle room, a little breathing room, a little cash, what does that mean for them? We've seen individuals move out of affordable housing. We've seen individuals go into home ownership. We've seen individuals pay off debt. But more importantly, the piece that we've seen that we don't talk about enough is we've seen joy. My guest this week, Aisha Nyandoro, is finding out after the break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. 
Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. What's up? Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This should be fun. I've been looking Aisha Nyandoro is the co-founder and CEO of Springboard to Opportunity, an organization in Jackson, Mississippi, that connects families living in affordable housing with resources and programs that help them advance themselves in school, in work, and in life. Good. Well, let's start with you uh, introducing yourself. Yeah, I am Aisha Yanduro, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Springboard to Opportunities based in Jackson, Mississippi. Bam! It's like you've done that 10,000 times before. So, Aisha, where did you grow up? I'm homegrown goodness. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and I made the decision several years ago to move back home and to grow where I was planted because that was really instilled in me that you go off, you do college, you learn, you do all the things. But when it's really time to get to the getting of doing the work, you go home and you do the work that's necessary. You knew you had to come back to Mississippi. Oh, gosh, yeah, Mississippi's a beautiful place. You know, I have a love-love relationship with this place. You know, my Mississippi is very different than the narrative that's sometimes told about Mississippi. And uh, not just sometimes told, the narrative that unfortunately is a lot of our history in Mississippi, which is our Jim Crow laws and that history. You know, it's problematic from those who are on the outside looking in. But my Mississippi is a place where joy is in abundance, even in the midst of some of our darkest days. Um, you still can find a fish fry and a space game and people laughing. Yeah. Do you remember the moment that inspired you to get into community psychology? I always knew that I wanted to do community programming and support and organizing just by virtue of who my family um, is. So my grandmother was a veteran of the civil rights movement. So, you know, I really grew up at her feet and at the feet of her friends, just listening to them really talk about how you work in community and how you respect people and what dignity looks like and how you don't do anything for a community without the community. And so just being very, very clear um, about that reality at a very early age. And I remember my first year in graduate school, we were sitting around a table and everybody was talking about what they wanted to be when they grow up in their, you know, hopeful career trajectory. And all of my colleagues wanted to go into academia and have a tenured career and all of that. And I was very clear. I was like, you know, I want to run a nonprofit. And my professor said to me, well, you don't need a doctorate to run a nonprofit. And I was like, oh, not to do it at the level in which I want to do it, being a Black woman, yes, I do, because y'all aren't ready yet in this country. You say they weren't ready. What, what were they not ready for? Oh, they weren't ready for a Black woman from Mississippi with plans to take over the world. <laughs> and change systems and narratives and ideas and how we view poverty and how we talk about poverty and how we talk about poor Black women and how we are going to really center the needs of poor Black women into our conversations about change and equity. They weren't ready for all of that. And, you know, at 25, I wasn't ready for that either. But all of the work in the past has prepared me for the moment now. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. But first, uh, I want you to take me back to the moment that you finished your schooling. Where did you go? Uh, how did you start doing this work? Oh, it's like a magical carpet ride of stuff I've not thought about in years. <laughs> um, after leaving academia, I worked in philanthropy um, because I was still under the impression that 
philanthropy was how you solve all the problems in the world. And I quickly learned that it's not really how you solve all the problems in the world. And then sometimes it creates more problems. But not only that, for me, I did not like how I showed up as a philanthropist, the power dynamic of what that looked like. At the time, I wasn't mature enough uh, to have that responsibility. What is that power dynamic that you felt? So for me, the power dynamic was, uh, you know, I have this thing that you want, which is money, um, and you have to show up and perform a certain way in order to get the money. Point blank, period. Dance for your supper. Sing, dance, jingle, whatever it is. Um, You know, I'm not trying to throw the entire sector under the bus, but with my self-awareness, I recognized that I was just not mature enough to deal with that and I needed to do something different. How did you first learn about Springboard to Opportunities? And when did you start working there? I have to start Springboard to Opportunities. It wasn't a thing before me. So you are the founder and the CEO? So that's the thing. I never call myself the founder of Springboard because there were so many others involved and how it all came to be. The way all of this happened is years ago, I was on the board of the Women's Foundation here in Mississippi. And this housing developer who was not from Mississippi, but had some properties and communities in Mississippi and was trying to figure out how to do something in there, came and spoke to the board about what it was that he felt was necessary. So he and I had a conversation, but I told him, I was like, you know, I'm intrigued about what it is that you're trying to do to provide different services for families in affordable housing. I was like, but you don't know what you're doing. And he was like, hmm, maybe you're right. Maybe you should come help me figure out what I'm doing. And I was like, hmm, I am now intrigued. In my family thought I was crazy because my oldest son was a baby at the time. And they were like, you're going to leave your good job to go start a thing that may not be a thing. You don't really know what it is. And I was like, you know, I'm going to leave my good job to step out on faith and trust this opportunity. And so before we started Springboard, I spent months talking to families in affordable housing about what their dreams were, their needs, their challenges. I'm really trying to learn directly from them. And about eight months into the learning, we realized that for families that live in extreme poverty, there was not an organization actually centering their needs into the conversations. Mm. So define briefly for me the mission of Springboard to Opportunity. Yeah. um, Springboard provides programs and services for families that live in federally subsidized affordable housing to help them advance in life, school and work. And how does Springboard do this? So many ways. (laughs) Um, We are a resident service provider. We take a holistic approach to our programs and services. So we do everything from after school programs. We have food pantries on site. We do cash disbursements, emergency cash disbursements. We have guaranteed income. Who are the families that you serve in the community? Yeah, the majority of the families that we serve are Black moms and their kids. About 98% of our population are single, not married mothers living in extreme poverty. So all of our families make less than $12,000 annually. The majority of our families do work, but they live in a state where our federal minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour. So, you know, you can work a full-time job, but at that wage, you are still living in extreme poverty. You said it was it was important to center the needs of the community. What is the opposite of that? What we have now. It is this top-down approach to policy that really is not reflective of the realities of what it means to live in poverty in this country. Uh, it is programs and designs that have all of these stipulations and punitive aspects um, that really take away the dignity of individuals who are needing a lot of the support in order to not just sustain themselves, but to sustain their families. And so it was all of these consequences uh, to your behavior, all of these people telling you what you had to do, what you had not to do. But there was never anyone saying, you know, what are you dreaming about? What are you hoping for? How can we support you in getting to those hopes and those dreams? And so when we realized that, um, it was like, okay, we have to start 
an organization because no one is doing what it is that we are saying is purposefully needed to end the cycle of generational poverty, which is to center the needs of families. And that's why, you know, we say that we are radically resident driven because every program, every service, everything that we do as an organization, we only do it if our families say it's what they need to be successful in life, school and work. Radical and simple to ask people what they need. I know, right? We should do it more. But our ego doesn't allow us to do that because we want to be included into individual stories about their life and their change. You know, whenever you see these movies, there's always a hero or heroine um, who was involved in somebody's miraculous transition. So it's ego. So in Springboard to Opportunities, you decided to ask families living in poverty what they needed, what they dreamed of, what they hoped for. And you asked these questions because no one else was asking these questions. What were the questions others were asking of these families? They weren't asking them anything. So how were they interacting? What did that look like? I am going to tell you you need X, Y, Z. I am going to tell you you have to do X, Y, Z. I am going to tell you you need financial literacy because I believe that poor folks don't know how to manage their money. I am going to tell you that you need parenting classes because I believe that poor people don't know how to parent their kids. There's never a conversation because we truly do believe that there is this moralism associated with poverty where we believe that individuals who are poor are bad people or they're not capable people. They're not as smart as. And we truly believe that we have to tell them what it is that they need um, in order for them to be successful. I remember when we were starting Springboard to Opportunities and I was talking to one of my colleagues about what we were doing and I was all excited. I was like, it's going to be so cool. We're centering residents and we're only going to do what the families need and did it. I'm all jazzed up. And he looked at me and was so well-intended. He was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then he started quoting Ford. And he was like, you know, when Henry Ford was doing the car, if he had asked the people what they needed, they would have said a faster horse. And I was like, that's asinine. But so many people believe that. Um, So many people believe that the way that we get to change is creating a thing, doing a thing, and then inviting those with whom that thing is designed for. And then we get upset when they don't participate. Hmm. What stories stand out when you learn from people what they say they need? Oh, gosh, so many. And it is so heartbreaking because the needs are so small, but we just never pause to ask. Needs as far as needing diapers, needing opportunities to go back to school, needing to figure out, okay, how do you actually get out of affordable housing? Like, I'm here now. What's the pathway out? Because I can't figure out the pathway out. One of the moms that I talked to when we started Springboard was a mom named Val who had lived in one of the affordable housing communities for over 30 years. She moved there when she was three. And of course, she never thought she would end up living there as long as she did. She always thought that when she turned 18, that she would move out. And it just never happened. And I remember her saying to me, it's like, you know, I never had my moment. And then I realized that moments don't happen for poor people. And I was like, oh. And that's what ends up happening. You have a life where folks... uh, are not allowed to dream because so many times when they do dream, as those dreams continue to be um, snuffed out and as those dreams continue to be unfulfilled, it gets to a place where it has to be a defense mechanism for you not to dream because how else do you continue to survive and how else do you continue to make it through? We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So Aisha, when you started Springboard to Opportunity, what were some of the first programs you tried out? The very first program we did was the after school program. And that was because that's what our moms told us they needed. They said they needed a safe place for their kids to go after school. So we were like, okay, we're helping to do this after school program. We're partnering with the local school. It's going to run this many hours. Well, okay, when it's over, if parents can't get there to get their kids, so we need to try to do a walking school bus. And what does that look like? And, I, and we didn't need to do any of that. The moms did it themselves. So, you know, we had moms who would call and make sure that their neighbor's kid could be picked up. And if not, they took it upon themselves to make sure that they picked up their neighbor's kids. They self-organized and did all of that themselves. And they didn't need us to address the how or to address any of the potential challenges. They just needed us to provide the thing. And the thing was the after-school program. So they just needed us to do that. And we were trying to do everything else. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, this lesson you've already talked about of listening to the needs of the people you're trying to serve, taking yourself out of it. You know, you assumed they would need a walk in school bus. You assumed they would need X, Y, and Z on top to fill in gaps that you assumed would exist. And they're like, no, no, no. We said we needed childcare. Thank you. We got the rest of this. Now get out the way. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you for freeing me up to get out the way and go, you know, raise this money to do other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about the other stuff. I want to talk about what is universal basic income or guaranteed income to you? Oh, it's my favorite thing in life right now. <laughs> Besides your children, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah, those two, those, those babies too. 
Um, so universal basic income and guaranteed income are two different things. Universal basic income is universality. It's everybody gets a check. Guaranteed income is more targeted. It's typically designed to um, support the needs of those who have been most marginalized or those who have the largest needs. Um, and it's cash without restrictions uh, that is term limited and it's very specific to a specific population. What are you working with right now? Guaranteed income. So Magnolia Mothers Trust is the first and only guaranteed income project in this country that takes a racial and gender equity approach to our conversations about wealth inequities. It provides $1,000 a month, 12 months, no strings attached, extremely low income Black mothers. Uh, Where does that name come from, first of all? So that name comes from a couple of places. So Magnolia is the Mississippi State flower, but it was also my grandmother's favorite flower. So a nod to my maternal grandmother and the mothers, mothers who we work with and trust. For us, it really is about trusting our moms to know what it is that they need. So it's a Magnolia Mother's Trust. And I was laughing earlier because she was like, oh, I'm sure you love it, um, you know, your kids more. And I was like, you know, it's sort of like my third baby. Because I started thinking about the Magnolia Mothers Trust um, when I was pregnant with my second child and the entire design and finality of the program I did when I was on maternity leave. So my son and I, we would be <laughs> be binge watching Game of Thrones <laughs> while he was sleeping and typing up the model at the program design for Magnolia Mothers Trust. Nice. When was your third child born, the Magnolia Mothers Trust? 2018. Um, So we started thinking about the work in 2017, and we launched the first pilot December 2018 with 20 mothers, 20 Black mothers receiving $1,000 a month for 12 months, no strings attached. And what happens at the end of the 12 months? In your experience so far, you've been through this a few times. The magic um, that has continued to unfold and manifest has just been amazing. We've seen individuals move out of affordable housing. We've seen individuals go into home ownership. We've seen individuals pay off debt, have savings. We've seen moms say that for the first time, they actually feel like a good mom because they can now provide some of the wants for their kids, not just addressing the needs. They're able to put plans in place for the future. But more importantly, the piece that we've seen that we don't talk about enough is we've seen joy. We've seen women be able to show up and have the bandwidth to not constantly live with a scarcity mindset, that they can actually plan for themselves and the future. And so individuals are able to show up differently in their lives, which means that they're able to show up differently for their families, which means that they now have the bandwidth to participate in PTA or city council meetings, that they now can have the ability to think about, okay, what does it mean to be a community advocate? for the first time? And what does it mean to use my voice? Can you share any of these stories of joy from your program participants that stand out to you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember one of our moms called me and she was so happy. And happy was not one of the adjectives that I would use to describe her. And she talked about how she was happy because for the first time, She had hope and she could actually think about what she wanted. She could see a path for herself outside of affordable housing. She had not worked for years because she felt stuck. And, you know, over the course of her year of getting a guaranteed income, she went and got a job. And she got a job because she said for the first time she could see a pathway forward. And that pathway forward made her hopeful. So that's one of our moms. One of our moms went during the pandemic and became a paramedic. She's like, I always wanted to be a paramedic. They need paramedics now. I'm like, yes, they do need paramedics now. And so (laughs) they're all of those things. Um, One of our moms, Tanisha, used to always talk about wanting a house with a garage because she just wanted to be able to pull her truck up in her garage and nobody knows she was at home if she didn't want to be bothered. And so she got her a house with a garage. So no one would know she was at home. So, you know, just different ways in which they are able to live out loud some of their dreams that they possibly have put on a shelf. 
You sound so full of joy recalling their stories of joy. Oh, they make me so happy because it's, you know, it's so simple. Oh my gosh, it's so simple. Um, but we complicate it so much. So it does. It makes me, it makes me really happy that we have been able to not just leave the work for our families, but then also to be engaged in some of the national conversations about the importance of cash and about, you know, yes, we can trust poor people. Um, yes, we can trust poor Black mothers. Does guaranteed income, in hindsight, feel obvious to you? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just giving people money. Yes. In hindsight, it feels so obvious. In hindsight, I'm like, why haven't we been doing this forever? When my moms first started talking to me about needing money in 2017, and a lot of their challenges were connected to the lack of access of cash, it put me down this rabbit hole of research where I was like, okay, how do you go about giving people money? Because I had not heard of universal basic income prior to the conversations with my moms or prior to trying to figure out how to address that need. And so when I first discovered universal basic income, I was like, this is so simple. Yes, we should do this. Let's go do it. And I was naive and not realizing how truly complicated it was to just give people money. Why is it complicated? Oh, gosh. Oh, it's complicated because of us. Um, It's complicated because of us. Unfortunately, we just, our moralism as it relates to poverty has set us up so we don't trust poor people. Um, We really have told ourselves these stories and this narrative that people are poor because they want to be poor. We have not looked at or examined the systems uh, that make it virtually impossible for individuals to um, move up the economic ladder if they are poor. We have not had conversations about how our social safety net is punitive. Whenever your income increases, your benefits automatically decrease. You are constantly having to prove that you're poor enough to need support. And I think that that is intentionally designed that way in order to keep people in their place keeping you from wanting anything more, keeping you from having hopes and dreams about the future. Um, And so we don't have those conversations. We just say that, oh, you know, individuals don't want to work more or they, you know, should work harder or they should work better jobs. How are you supposed to work harder if you already have three jobs? How are you supposed to get a better job when in this country we are continuously pricing people out of higher education? How are you supposed to make better wages when we are paying people $7.25 an hour still? So we don't examine our role in these. We just push these realities and tell ourselves these narratives that the fault are of the individuals who this is their lived experience. So that's why it's hard. That's the one reason why it's hard. And then the other reason why it's hard um, is when we started doing this work in 2018, you know, it was not sexy. Folks were like, oh my God, you are going to give Black women money? What? And I was like, yeah, why not? Well, how are you going to make sure they don't have more babies? And how are you going to make sure folks aren't using it on drugs? And how are you going to make sure they're not giving it to their boyfriends? And all of these things where I was like, where is the data? on this? And why are you inserting your isms into these conversations without recognizing the possibilities? And then also it's hard, you know, once again, I am a Black woman in the South. Um, Less than 1% of philanthropy rolls through the South. Of that 1%, less than 1% goes to organizations that are led by women of color. You are the 1% of the 1%. How do you feel? It depends on the day of the week. (laughs) Yeah, it depends on the day of the week. You know, oh, now that this pandemic has happened, we're having a lot more conversations about equity and we're seeing that life for individuals are a lot more precarious than a lot of us would have liked to realize and a lot of us want to have honest conversations about. So a lot of the pieces that myself and my colleagues and other friends have been talking about for years as it relates to how precarious our social safety net is, a lot of folks are actually now seeing that. 
So in this moment, you know, I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good because we have been doing this thing for years that now other individuals are trying to do and can learn from in those pieces. But at the same time, I'm sad and I'm exhausted that it took for a pandemic for us to get to the place where we could have conversations about giving people money without restrictions. um, I am sad and exhausted that in building the work of the Magnolia Mothers Trust, the amount of truly racist conversations that I had to have in order to build the case for the women that I work with um, was some of the hardest work I've ever done. I don't know if I could do it again. I have to think about protecting my mental health um, because I do have babies that I have to take care of. And so I don't know if that's something that I could do again because it got to the place where it was constantly a cost-benefit analysis of how much racism and sexism am I willing to put up with today in doing this work. I don't want to re-traumatize you, so feel free to tap out on this. But if you're able and willing, can you give me a flavor of that racist and or sexist conversation that you were subject to? It's not, that's the thing, it's not one. It wasn't one conversation. Um, It was multiple conversations with various funders about what it was that we were trying to do and what it was that we were trying to build. I think if it had been one conversation, that would have been like, all right, you know, it's not okay, but, you know, we could figure that out. But it was the constant reminder of how Black women are truly viewed in this country. So you show up. Magnolia Mother's Trust is in the building. Pay me so we can pay these women. And and the response is? It's two conversations. So it's the response pre-COVID and a response post-COVID. Pre-COVID, we can't do that. You can't just give people money. What's the program? What's the thing? Is it a fellowship? Is it respectability politics? How are you going to police these individuals in this money? You know, are you going to tell them what to do? Are you making them do financial literacy? Are you making them show your receipts? You know, it was all of those things. And so that was pre-COVID conversations. Now, post-COVID. And everyone is having conversations about guaranteed income and the simplicity of giving people cash and the fact that we need cash. Um, And now I show up and it's like, hey, Magnolia Mother's Trust is in the building. And it's like, let us give you all this manna from heaven. We're going to liberate the capital. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take your liberated capital. Thank you very much because you now recognize that people need money. And I have a whole program in which you can give people money. So let's do it. And so so the money that's on the other side of the checks, the monthly checks, is that coming from foundations? Is it coming from wealthy individuals? Is it coming from corporations? Like, where's the pile of money coming from? Wealthy individuals, for the most part. Hmm. But the question is, I don't even know if I want it to be sustained. I don't feel like guaranteed income in the way anyone is doing it is something that can be sustained by philanthropy in and of itself. I really do think that philanthropy's role and all of us who are doing this work, I think our role is to get enough data out there and to have enough conversations about the importance of cash so that we can push federal policies. Um, So that's what I feel like guaranteed income and philanthropy. That's really the bigger ecosystem of how all of this is supposed to work. So what do you see as the future of the Magnolia Mothers Trust in this guaranteed income program? I see a couple of different things. So we are currently in our third year of the work. We just launched the next um, cohort. We now, in effect, have supported 230 families with a guaranteed income. I know we started from the bottom, now we're here. (laughs) So we're excited about that. We are also providing children's savings accounts for the moms because we're supporting the whole family. We're also excited about, quite frankly, this work that we're going to as it relates to really a narrative and the conversations that we tell ourselves about poverty and who we center in those conversations. Um, We have been saying that we are going to change the narrative by changing the narrator. So we are really supporting our moms and becoming storytellers and providing them the resources and the support that they need to tell their own stories. I feel that it's really time for us to begin to see the moms more. I think that's important 
as we talk about policy, because the only way that we're going to change these policies is if we change hearts. And the only way we do that is by making sure that we actually all know each other. Yeah. If we had widespread adoption of a universal basic income for everybody or widespread adoption of guaranteed incomes on a national scale, uh, what do you think that would look like? I think if we had adoption of a widespread guaranteed income on a national scale, I think that that will look like us finally eradicating poverty. I think that will look like us having healthier families. I think that will look like us having healthier kids. I think that will look like us finally looking like the greatest nation in the world. I think that would change the trajectory of our future, not just for some, but for an entire country. That's all? I think that's enough. If we can... (laughs) If we we can side of poverty, you know, we've been working at that one for years. So if we can side that one... (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been inspiring, revealing, and such a good use of time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. That's a whole lot. (laughs) You've you've brought a whole lot. I really am grateful. Thank you so much. So what happens when you give people money? For folks in the pandemic, those stimulus checks meant catching up on rent payments, Fixing cars, buying groceries for your family, signing up for an online class, or donating to organizations you care about. Maybe even adopting a pet to make that quarantine life a little less quarantine For the members of the Magnolia Mothers Trust, it could mean all of those things. But what it also meant is giving people a chance to dream, the space to dream. That is worth so much. When you think about who has the resources, the time, and the privilege to dream up something different than what they are living, that is a privilege reserved for those of certain means. And it's a privilege that could and should be extended through programs like Guaranteed Income or just giving people money. Because we see the word citizen as a verb, that involves doing things. So here's our producer, Stephanie, with some things you can do. Consider the commonly told stories you've heard about poverty in America. Stories like, poor people are poor because of bad choices. Poor folks are uneducated. And never give spare change to a homeless person because they'll use it on drugs. Now flip those stories. Think about the systems at play that keep people poor. Things like doctor-prescribed opioids, redlining, and social welfare programs with unrealistic thresholds. Who's benefiting from these misleading narratives? Next, look into other models. Universal basic income and guaranteed income have both been tested in a few different countries, regions, cities, and towns. So do some reading and find out what the economists say about these programs. We'll link to some articles you can read in the show notes, including findings from the most recent UBI experiment in Stockton, California. And finally, got some capital you're looking to liberate? This one is simple. Donate to Magnolia Mothers Trust. Check out springboard2.org to find out how. If you like UBI, then consider getting involved with others through the income movement. Again, we'll provide a link in the show notes for ways you can get involved. If you take any of these actions, please brag about yourself online using the hashtag HowToCitizen. And send us general feedback or ideas for the show to comments at HowToCitizen.com. Visit HowToCitizen.com to sign up for our newsletter or learn about upcoming events. And if you like the show, spread the word. Tell somebody. If you don't, definitely just keep it to yourself. How to Citizen with Baratunde is a production of iHeartRadio Podcasts and Dustlight Productions. Our executive producers are me, Baratunde Thurston. 
Elizabeth Stewart, and Misha Youssef. Our producers are Stephanie Cohn and Ali Kiltz. Kelly Prime is our editor. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. And Sam Paulson is our apprentice. Original music by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to our citizen voices for this episode. Meredith Silva, Bernadette Bohan, Allison Brown Ferguson, and Rolana Watson. This episode was produced and sound designed by Stephanie Cohn. Special thanks to Joelle Smith from iHeartRadio. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.